listening to the Fresh Out the Northwest Podcast. This, this is DJ Peg. Let's go, go, go. Today is episode 65 of the Fresh Out the Northwest Podcast, where we represent Northwest hip hop culture. Today's guest has been mentioned on my podcast numerous times. He's an award winning DJ that has rocked some of the biggest events from the Northwest and beyond. He was part of Soul Gorilla that dominated the Seattle club hip-hop scene in the 2000s. He has a crazy vinyl collection that I'm definitely going to talk about later. He is the co-founder of Conception Records that put out a lot of local music, including one of my favorite songs, Never Scared, by Cupfather. So I'm going to get to know him like you guys are going to get to know him. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Supreme LaRock. What's up, bro? Salute, Peg. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And before we start, I have to apologize because I know you've been at me for a minute. Right. You know, and I've been ripping and running, but we here now, so we're going to get into it. Man, I know you're busy, man. I follow you on social media. Shit, I ain't knocking your hustle at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, man. So let's get started with the first question. What was the first equipment you used when you first started DJing? I grabbed my father's turntable and it was the joint. It had like a spring loaded platter, like it bounced up and down. Oh shit. And it was the joint that had the eight track in the front of it and with the receiver. Ooh. It was like a, probably like a Kmart cheap joint. That's what we had in the crib. So that's what I started on. I just grabbed that and I put a record on and started moving it, like trying to learn how to scratch. And I used to use the volume knob instead of a fader to, to try to learn how to scratch. Okay. So when you got into really DJing, like two turntables and a mixer, what was you using then? It's funny because uh, we had got, my family had got an insurance settlement. And I remember my mom knew how bad I wanted turntables because I wouldn't shut up about them. Right, And she said, oh, we have a little bit of money now. You can get two turntables. And I think the place was called Silo. And we went there. Now, you got to understand, I'm like 14, 15. I really don't know what I'm doing. I just go in and I just look at two turntables. They, yeah, I'll take these two. They, I don't even think they have pitch controls on them. Oh, wow. Like, they were terrible. But I didn't know any better. But that was like my first two turntables. And then I got this uh, mixer at Radio Shack, it was like 25 bucks. And it was like a line mixer, mm. it had like four four lines on it. And I remember I taped or glued like toothpicks on two of the faders because it was left and right. I wanted it to be stereo. So right. I basically made it one fader out of the two. I mean, it was real, it was, it was I mean, I'm a kid and you gotta realize, man, like. There was no one around here really doing it right? to show me. I mean, there was cats doing it, but they're older than me, you know, and I didn't know them. So everything I did, I was self-taught. Like, I even plugged my turntables in backwards, which I came to find out later is called hamster style. Right. Where I'm, where I'm reversed with the fader, but I'm that way because I didn't know how to plug the equipment in. That's I plugged them in wrong, and that's how I taught myself. Okay. So uh, now, do you still DJ that way to this day? Oh yeah, I can't go the other way. It would mess my brain up, bro. That makes sense because I've I've seen you DJ a few times, and I was like, 
Oh, okay. He DJs that way, but like you said, it, right. that's how you started off. That's what it is. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Uh, what inspired you to be a DJ? Well, so the funny thing is I've always been into records. I think like when uh when I was a kid and uh, my cousin used to babysit me, he'd play records all day and I'd just be there watching him play records. I think I was intrigued by a lot of the psychedelic colorful colors like the Curtis Mayfield records and whatnot, Funkadelic records. Oh yeah. The covers look wild, you know, as a kid I'm eyeballing those. And so I was always in the music, always in the records. Um, my parents bought me a turntable, a toy one when I was four. So they said like that was my favorite toy. I always played records. And then as I got older, I was a teenager and started um, getting into break dancing. I was always buying records then, like breaks or stuff to dance to. So like I said, I was always buying records. Okay. And then one day I came home from school. I couldn't walk into my bedroom because I had so many damn records. Like they were blocking the door. Oh, wow. But I wasn't into DJing though, but I had records. I was actually more into dancing, into b-boying. Right. But what really got me into it was I went to a homie's house after school one day. His older brother was DJing in his bedroom. And I like heard him. I poked my head in the, through the door to see what he was doing. I was like, oh, can I come in? He's like, yes. Yeah. So I sat and watched him. And I was kind of like, oh, I want to learn that, right? Right. Not seriously. I just wanted to learn it. And then maybe like a month after that, the Treacherous Three came to town. And when I went to that concert and Easy Lee was cutting up doubles on two turntables going back to forth, that's when I was like, oh, I'm learning it. I want to do that. That's when I took it seriously. Right. Okay. I think that was like 83. Yeah. Yeah. I remember then, that concert. Um, that yeah, was the one yeah, here, right? So, right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. But that's when I that's when I, you know, took it seriously. So from then on then, all I wanted to do was rock doubles and scratch. Right. And I was getting good at it. I practiced every day. I come come home, go in my room. That's all I did. Okay. And a couple years down the line, you know, I, I never told anybody I DJ or I can DJ, but people at school know, oh, he DJs, right? Right. And uh, there was a, a nightclub, and I guess the DJ got the flu or something. So people that worked there knew I DJ, so they called me to come play that night. They booked me. It was my first gig. I think I was 16. Okay. I wasn't even old enough to be in the venue. It was a 21 and over spot. Right. But they said I can work there. It was weird. They said I have to stand outside, but I'm on my shift starts. I can come in. I can work, and I got to leave immediately. Right. I guess that's how the law works. <laughs> well, I learned that night I couldn't DJ mm. because I bombed hard. The crowd didn't want to hear scratching. The crowd didn't want to see me cutting up doubles. You know, I thought I was dope. Right. I'm going to cut up Bob James back to back, like in wild style and this and that. They were, you know, they wanted a party. Right. Exactly. So that's opened my mind then like, oh, well, I guess I better learn how to party rock too. Okay. Bro, uh, you, I got two questions to ask you, but we're gonna do the first one because that yeah. that that put me on two questions I want to ask you. So we could, let's do the first one first. How many records do you have in your vinyl collection? Because bro, I seen pictures of it. It's nuts, man. Like 
And then on top of that, not only how many do you have, but what's like some of your rarest records? Yeah, so it's like I told you, I always have been buying records, like since I was a kid. Right. In fact, there was a there was one point, like when CDs came out, that I actually sold most of my records because I thought, oh, this is where we're heading now. Right. They're a lot smaller. They sound better. Blah blah. blah. Everything they taught us, right? It was all marketing to fuck our heads up. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, I sold about half my collection then, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't huge. You know, I might have had like five, ten thousand at the time, Ooh. but I had been buying my whole life, like since my first allowance. When I got my first allowance, I asked, "Could we go to the record store?" And I bought a record. Oh wow! Like I told you, I've always bought records, and I don't know why. I've just been fascinated by them. Right. I think watching them spin around and wondering, like, how does sound come out of plastic? How does this work? Right. Right. You know. So. Um, then, of course, when I was a b-boy, I was buying breaks to dance to, and then I was buying a lot of rap. I was like, you know, rap was starting to come out and get big and get popular. And then, uh, I mean, I stopped counting years ago. I stopped counting at around 50,000. Oh. I don't know what I have now. Wow. So it's, it's definitely But it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of stupid. Nah, bro. That's like, nah, but I look at it. I'm like, this is just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I, hey, man, I think that shit is cool, personally. Because just like you, I had a huge record collection. I think mine was 5,000 at the time. Same thing. Right. CDs came. I got rid of all my records. Now, here's the here's the Yeah, crazy... we got bamboozled when them CDs came out. Yep. But now, here's the, here's the crazy thing. A lot of those songs can't be streamed, and they're lost forever. You know, the white no, labels. I know that. I know that uh, because I had approached... You remember when Microsoft came out with the Zoom and was going head to head with the iPod? Yep, I do remember. So I had a meeting with them because I wanted to do a special department because I told them a lot of these songs you can't stream. You can't get, they're not available. Let's open a special department where I do the research and get these songs and it'll set you guys apart from Apple and everyone else. Right. But the problem is the licensing and the legal legalities of this music. Right. Right. So that was the issue and why it never happened. But you're absolutely correct. I tell everybody, everything's not on the internet. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, everything's not on the internet. Yep. Yeah. Cause like I said, I mean, there's I, I, tons of songs. I don't, I don't stream cause I don't need to, but I, there's tons of songs. I will go look and I'm like, it's not even on there. Yeah. Cause like I said, it's uh. I had white labels of shit, bro. Like, you, oh, right. Man. You can't even get special those remixes, instrumentals, acapellas, all that stuff, and you can't get any of it now. Exactly, man. Um, so what is what is one of your rarest records? Uh, I don't know. I mean, okay. <laughs> I really don't know. It's all good. It's all good. I'm the thing is, the thing is, so like, if I find something or have it. I don't think it's rare because I have it, right? Okay. And then I don't look for it because I already have it, so I don't look for it. Got you. And then people will say, oh, you got this? Yeah. And I'll, I'll wait. For instance, a joint I got, I bought for three bucks probably like 20 years ago. I looked it up yesterday and it was $1,000 on Discogs. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, when did that happen? <laughs> right. You know, but I never looked at it to look at it like that. But there's only one copy available and it's 1000 bucks. So I tell, also tell everyone, a lot of these records are better than the stock market. Yeah. The right ones, the right records. Yeah. If it's just like a, a 
top 40 pop song, it ain't really going to be worth nothing. Yep, that's true. Now, here's a funny story. I needed, uh, what was it? It was the remix, not the remix, but the original Showbiz and AG's Next Level, right? Mm-hmm. Couldn't find it. And I think Top Spin hit you. You sent it to Top Spin. Top Spin sent it to me. And I and Top, yep. and Top Spin is like, oh, yeah, Supreme got everything, bro. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done that a lot over the years. It's kind of like you said, how my name would have came up a right. lot um, on previous podcasts you've done. I just, I've just been at it for a long time and I know a lot of people and I've helped a lot of people out in different ways. Yeah. That, I'm gonna tell I you. mean, even what's funny, a lot of the DJs don't even know half the gigs they got are because of me. Right. And I'm not taking credit and I don't want nothing out of it, but I will say, oh, you know, I'm, I can't do that. You should get such and such or try this guy. Right. You know, and they don't even know I'm doing that. Because you're just doing it for the love, bro. And I and I will say this, nobody had nothing bad to say, not one thing bad to say about you. Everybody's like, oh man, he hustles, he makes it happen. When he says it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. That's I'm telling you, I had like eleven people um on my podcast say the same thing. I said, Man, I gotta get Supreme on here, you know? Nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know what folks think. I just do my thing and on to the next. You know, I look at Whatever you do, once you're done, it's done, and it's on to the next. Because in this business, you're only as good as the last thing you did. Yes. Nobody cares that I did uh, the Seahawks, uh, you know, Super Bowl thing ten years ago. Nobody cares. Right. They're like, "Well, did you do it this year?" You know what I'm saying? Right. I feel you. So that's why I don't like talk about stuff. I just keep it moving. Yeah, that you do, bro. I like I said the bi- the bills keep coming, so I got to keep working. <laughs> yeah, you definitely are working, uh, man. Let's get to this next question real quick, and this is a this is one I'm interested, very interested in. What made you want to start your own record label? Uh, my dream was in the in the eighties, like mid eighties. My dream was to release a record, right? And so. I didn't know how, I didn't know anything. I'm a kid. I don't know nothing about it. But I remember recording demos and going to the studio and meeting with like uh, Ness at Nasty Mix. Okay. Who was actually interested in uh, doing a deal with us. But I'm also eager, right? Like, I'm like, I'm about myself. Like, okay, sign my group and put us out and let's roll, right? Right. And he was like, well, we got high performance and uh, whatever. They had some two girls that did some disco or something and effects, a group called Effect. They had all this stuff lined up. And they're like, so basically you're going to be after them. And I didn't like that. I wanted to be, come out like immediately. I wanted to focus on us, right? Right. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know labels have rollout dates and promotional uh, schedules and all this. So I was like, well, we'll just put it out ourselves. Okay. And so that's that's how I started it. Okay. And you, and you guys is I mean, I bought a few uh a few 12 inches with the conception uh, you know, label on it, man. So you guys was putting out some quality shit for real, you know what I mean? Yeah, so the funny thing about that, a lot of people didn't even know we were from here. Oh, wow. I don't know. I guess I said it on the label. I guess they just didn't read it. Right. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. But even like if I go in stores here and you look, you see like the local section, they'd have us in the regular section, which I liked. It meant more to me. Right. It That meant more to me. But at the same time, I'm like, well, we're from here. And even a funny thing, I remember going to like Platinum and trying to sell our releases. And they're like, no, they didn't want to buy anything. They weren't interested. They weren't supportive at all. Right. And they're like, you can do consignment. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And maybe a month later, I go in. They have all of our records on the wall. So these guys went and ordered them from a distributor, paid more money, and paid for shipping. And it's they the, could have just got them from me when I went in there. Right. But like you said, I don't, go ahead. I don't think they put two and two together. Right. And you'd be surprised how people don't, don't really support, bro. I mean, it's getting a little better now, but it ain't like... Especially back in the 90s, man. They wasn't really rocking Oh, this. back then it was awful. <laughs> then it was terrible. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I remember, uh, I can't remember who it was. Um, and somebody asked them to play, uh, they, they had it on wax. And they was like, hey, man, can you play this? I'm a local artist. And they was like, hell no. And they were just rude about it. I'm like, damn, man. Like, <laughs> okay. Right. Whatever. Um, so my next question is, Bro, I've seen you rock clubs for years, and I can't I, I can't even think of all the big clubs I've seen you at. You know what I mean? But um, how do you feel about the Seattle club scene now? Uh, I have really mixed feelings. I was just talking about this because I don't know if you saw that Dub C post the other day saying the Seattle club scene is dead. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that. Which I have to agree. I have to agree with what they're talking about. Right. Because they're only talking about like a top 40 hip hop army club. If you go like, I did like this underground disco the other night that was off the chain. Right. Right. But is that considered the club scene? I don't know. It's kind of underground, you know, but it was off the chain. Right. And so if you're talking about certain things, yeah, it's dead, but not, it's not all the way dead. You know, but I have all these factors that go into that, such as inflation. True. And how much it costs to live. And people don't have money to party like they used to. People, there's a lot of violence going on. People don't want to get shot at going out. Sometimes you can't even park your car. You can't even find parking. If you do, it's $30. Yeah. They're just, drinks are expensive. There's just so many factors that go into it. The energy of the music is different. I totally agree with you. You know what I'm saying? Right. There's that we have the internet now. You don't even need to leave your house for anything. You can order anything you want on your phone. Yeah. You can order food. You can order girls. You can order whatever you want. Yeah, that's real talk. You know what I mean? So, like I said, there's a lot of factors that go into why nightlife is dead right now but but i see like bro like like i said i follow you like you stay busy bro like i think he was just in vegas not that long ago so right and that's why i was having a, a issue getting with you i was i was on the road right but like i said bro i mean you busy one thing i say you kept con you you kept saying we're gonna make it happen man long, as long as you say that i'm good bro you know what I mean? For sure. I see. Oh, I'm definitely trying to be a man of my word. Yeah, and that's what everybody said too. And like I said, you know, like you was in Vegas, you was over here, you was doing that. I was like, okay, he's busy. I get it. You know what I right. mean? Say, so I wish yeah. I was that busy. To be honest with you, so. 
So, well, you know, it's a blessing, man. I, I tell everybody, you wake up in the morning, it's a blessing. You should be thankful and grateful. Oh, yeah. That you just woke up. Yes. Plus, and then to still be doing what I'm doing at my age and ripping and running, every gig is a blessing. Yep. And I will say this, too. Um, I, I got less gigs when I raise my prices, but I'm not tripping, right? Like, at some point in time, you got to pay me what I'm worth. And then right. I, I noticed when I did that, they slowed down, but... I make more money DJing less, so it, right, it works of out. Course. Yeah, of course, it, it works out. You know what I mean? So, um, bro, so I seen you DJ. It was at the Jungle Brothers when they was at a uh, substation, right? Okay, yeah, bro. I wanted Shazam you so bad, like you was playing <laughs> the cuts. Is that freestyle? I mean, it, it, do you already have your set kind of? thought about or do you just go out there and I just... have no I have no sets thought about you know why because you don't know what you're walking into yeah okay. I know it's the jungle brothers but I don't know who's gonna be there right right I gotta look at the crowd and try to be a mind reader and think okay what am I gonna play for you like what do, what do I think that they want to hear right but at the same time I'm like well it's a jungle brothers crowd 80s hip-hop stuff that came out around that era when they came out yeah that's just gonna work or should work Right. For instance, when um, I don't know if you went to the Eric B and Rakim show. I was there front, front, front. Okay, so front they stage. had me DJ. They had me DJ that show. But what they didn't know is that they brought a girl that DJs the whole tour. She's okay. like the house DJ for the show. But they had me. They had booked me to DJ this show, and so she came on. They they had her go first since they had me playing. But when she came on. She was playing Migos and Rick Ross and all this stuff. And I thought, yeah, that's new and current, but that's not really fitting for this show and this crowd. Right. To me, it didn't make sense. And then when I got on, I played, like I said, I played what I thought the crowd wanted and I was correct. Right. And I had a lot of people thanking me like, oh, thank God you got on. Thank God, you know, but we don't know what that girl was doing. But I think that goes back on the promoter as well. The promoters, sometimes I think they don't think. Right. They're like, let's just get a DJ without knowing who the DJ is or what they're about. And it doesn't make sense. And I see it over and over and over these days. Right. Yeah, because like I said, you you played right into the right into the crowd. Like I said, man, that, that was a great night. I've seen you other yeah, places too. Yeah, even like I remember, I remember they were coming on. We announced them. And I was walking off stage and Sammy B grabbed me. He was like, yo, I didn't know y'all got down like that out here. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just funny. But see, but also, like I said, bro, I've seen you DJ. You uh, was at Vito's one time. And once again, you didn't play that set at Vito's. You kept the crowd high. Right. You know what I mean? So Right, because it's a different crowd and a different party. Right, exactly. You know what I'm saying? And But that's why I'm telling you, I don't have sets. Okay. But... I also, there's certain th records I know that'll go together and I catch myself doing those mixes from time to time. Right. Because I know that they work. Right. Even though it's not a program set. Yeah, but I think all DJs kind of do that. We already know, like, if we go here, right. we can go here, and then we can go here. Just from experience, right. you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, when I started, when I first got Serato, I didn't make crates or nothing because people say, how do you organize your, your music? I said, I don't. It's just in there. I just open it up and play. And they're like, well, how do you do that? 
Well, I've been playing a long time, so I know the songs. They're in my head. Yeah. Because you've been DJing, I would say, what, since 80? How long you been DJing, bro? I don't even want to guess it. Yeah, I mean, I started around 83 and then professionally, like, 87, 88. Yeah. Then kind of, like, art bars really started popping early 90s. And so pretty much since early 90s, I've really been on, like, a lot. Yeah. Cause like, like, damn near five nights a week. You know, since then, damn near. I mean, there's, you know, it's like a roller coaster and shit. You yeah. know, it gets slow and then you get swamped. Right. Yeah. I've been there. And, and then, then there's, you're right. And then there's, aside from clubs, corporate gigs, private events, weddings, all kind of shit. I love corporate gigs, bro. Love them. <laughs> I'm a Man, I've done, <laughs> I've done some recently, like, they're, I mean, they pay crazy and like everything's set up. You just walk in and rock. And yeah. They won't leave. And it's like, yep. Love corporate. Nobody's people. shooting at you afterwards. You get a steak dinner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. It's easy money, man. Um, Bro, so I got to tell you this story. So I'm on the, I wear, I wear Adidas, right? Yes. So I'm on the Adidas website. So they had the Supreme Rock show toes and they had the Supreme Rock shirt. How did you do that, bro? Like, how did you collaborate with them? They uh, reached out to me, and I started doing some parties for them. Okay. And then, so, it's funny. So, like, the first party I did, um, they had flown me out. And when I went and checked into my hotel room, walked into my room, they had, like, a bunch of stuff in there for me, like tracksuits and shoes and all this shit. And it was all had my logo and my face on them, and they made my own shit for me. And then, and so that's what they started doing when I was doing their parties. Okay. And what's funny is, so the, I remember the last party I did for them, like before COVID, it was in LA. And to me, that was like the highlight of doing those events is getting my own shit. Right. And I remember I went in my room, there was nothing in there. I'm like, oh, they're going to give it to me at the gig. I'm at the gig. And give me nothing. Then the other DJ said, uh, "Hey, did you have anything in your room?" And I said, "Nah." Did you? And he said, "Nah." And I said, "Oh, they're gonna send it to us." And we never got nothing. Oh, yeah, but I, I that was dope though. I was like, "Oh, he got his own his own shell toes." I was like, "Yeah, that's too fresh." You yeah. So I mean? speaking of that, right now I got a deal with Echo. I don't know if you saw that. No, I haven't. I got um, I got some shirts out right now with Echo. And some with uh not lids, but it's another sporting company like that. Okay. But I'll try to send you the link when we hang up from here. But uh yeah, so that, that, they hit me up. Right. They came to me for hip hop's fiftieth. They said they recognized me as a, a early DJ and they wanted to work with me. Yeah, that's dope, bro. Uh, last question. It's man. crazy because I would never imagine nothing like this. No, I wouldn't never imagine half the things I've done. No, it's... being a kid, like you couldn't tell me, oh, you're gonna be 50, you're still gonna be DJing. Right. You know what I mean? And still going strong too. It ain't like you're on the downside of your career. You know man, what I mean? It's crazy because I feel like I'm almost just starting. Sometimes I feel like it's getting bigger and bigger and better and better. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because and then I heard you was doing something in Ballard. I, I happened to be next door, and there's like, oh, Supreme's next door. Right. I was like, oh, explain that to the people, man. Yeah, so I got a nightclub. I'm a partner in the nightclub. I got two partners with me. 
It's called Shibuya Hi-Fi. And uh, the concept comes from Shibuya, Japan. I got to visit those bars when I was in Japan DJing. And I was like, man, I would love to do something like this. Because it's chill, man. It's not like a uh, like a ratchet nightclub, right? It's like you're just playing joints. It's, it's kind of like having your homies over and you're just chilling and playing cuts. Right. And drinking, smoking, whatever you're doing. But, uh, yeah, it's like a, you know, a nice hi-fi system. Uh, High-end bar. Play jazz, soul, funk, all kinds of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I literally, and I found out about it. I was next door. Tundi was like, yeah, man, I'm going next door. Yeah, so what was crazy is that night he had told me. He said, Peg's next door. I said, he is? But I, it was at the end of the night. I think you guys had left already. Yeah, yeah. We, we it was. I had left and came over there, and I was like, oh, that's crazy. Yep. Yeah, because it was slow. And I don't know if you saw, so one of the things is we don't have no signage or nothing. It's kind of like you got to know about it. Yeah. Exactly, because you know, people are like, "Where's it at?" I'm like, "Oh, it's you. You there? You right here?" <laughs> right. That's dope, bro. And do you do that once a week or just every now and again? Uh, well, we're open Thursday through Saturday, but I I DJ there at least once a month at the minimum. I'm there as much as I can be there. Right, right. But when I'm doing events, I can't always be there. Right. But man, I'm gonna have to come through and check it out. Man, it sounds dope. Yeah, for sure. Yep. All right, man. Last question. I know you's with Soul Gorilla. I don't really know the relationship you have with him, but you guys had a hell of a run, man. Talk about that, man. You and uh, the relationship with Soul Gorilla. Okay, so um, one of the guys from Soul Gorilla, he used to run a, a restaurant the Lakeside. Okay. I don't know if you remember that down on the on Lake Union, on the water. I don't remember it. But... I think a lot of Mariners used to go there and they had parties all the time, but he'd start booking me. Okay. He started booking me for all these parties. And then he said, uh, he liked how I got down. Vibes were good. He said, we should do something. We should start promoting parties together. What's funny is at the time I was considering quitting because I felt, I almost felt blacklisted in town. Mm. I felt like no one's messing with me. Nobody will book me. I have to be, is everything was like clickish. Like you gotta be in this click or you gotta know this person or, you know, I felt weird. I, I really felt weird at the time. Like it's time to quit. Right. And, uh, I remember somebody called, I got like some really dope gig and then I just kept getting all these dope gigs. They just kept coming. And then the way we worked out is, uh, I think I was at Twilight. Okay. Remember Twilight? Oh, yeah, I remember Twilight. Okay, so that's the same owner as Tabella. And he told me, I'm opening a big club, and I want you for the resident DJ. And then I said, well, we're going to promote it, too. Right. If you want me in there, then my team's going to promote it, too. That way I looked at it as I can get paid a set amount to DJ and get paid on top of that to promote it. Right. And that's what we did till the wheels fell off. Yeah. But you guys had some I remember I remember Tabellas, I remember Twilight. You guys had a cold ass run, man. I what Yeah, we had a good run. We had a we had a good run. Right. You know what I mean? Even the logo was dope. I think you guys had chains and everything. I was like, these guys is <laughs> organized. I did. I, I still have it. Oh, do you? I okay. still have it, yeah. Okay. That's dope. 
Uh, man, how can people find you on social media? It's at Supreme LaRock across the board on, on everything. Okay. I try to make it easy for you. Yeah, that, yeah that's called consistent identity. I hope, right. I hope, you can oh, do that. You can, you can Google the name or just put that in on whatever you're on, whatever platform you're on. I'm trying to teach people that they're not listening. But anyway, Supreme LaRock across the board. Hey, bro, I appreciate you being on, man. This was dope, man. This was a dope conversation. Um, yeah, man. Oh, one other thing before we get up out of here. Yeah, you yeah. did some you did some acting too, man. I, I seen you with the Go Grills and uh, I can't remember the name of the movie with, with Keek, but yeah, man. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the funny thing about that movie is they were shooting a nightclub scene. Well, so I was the DJ. I was the DJ in the nightclub scene. Okay. And when the producer came in, he seen me, he said, man, you look more like a gangster than a DJ. Why don't I, why don't I give you this part? And I said, okay, I'll take the part. And, uh, I could, I mean, I'm not an actor. Like, <laughs> I felt like I was, I felt like I was messing the part up. I couldn't get the lines right. And he just said, okay, well, we're just going to put you in this other scene and you just talk some shit and you get shot. That's okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I saw that like on cable a couple months ago. I seen it at Redbox. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the theater when they did the premiere, so I, okay. I was there. Yeah, because you know I, I rock with G Prez. That's my guy. So yes, sir. Yep, yep. All right, bro. So uh, like I said, man, I appreciate you being on, man. This was fun, man. Very informative, man. Like you know, I knew you, but this I got to know you a little better. You know what I mean? Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. Like, stay in touch. Oh, definitely will do, man. And until next time, bro, peace, man. Peace. Man, once again, thanks for listening to the Fresh Out the Northwest podcast. It's all about representing Northwest hip-hop culture. All episodes are available on Apple, Spotify, and major streaming platforms. I truly appreciate everyone that supports the podcast, and I'm going to keep hitting you with new episodes every week. Until next time, peace. Peace.